0: Get a free 30-day Audible trial by going to audibletrial.com slash Our recommendation this week is The Barcelona Inheritance, The Evolution of Winning Soccer Tactics from Cruyff to Guardiola. Written by Jonathan Wilson and narrated by Charlie Anson, The Barcelona Inheritance shows how Barcelona's style of play has been the single biggest influence on modern soccer. To go straight to this book, click on the link in the description of this podcast episode. <music> Today on Barça Talk, FC Barcelona made a couple key signings in the last week. We're just about to kick off our annual fundraising drive for the Barcelona Summer Soccer Camp Scholarship Fund. We look at the future of Barcelona B's midfield and the first team took a hit in the Copa del Rey and Samedo got his first goal at the club against Girona in a 2-0 win everybody welcome to Barça talk this is brian henderson coming to you from buffalo new york and joining me from madrid spain is gabriel quiroga
2: brian brian my barca brother from another mother how you doing buddy married I'm, buddy
0: i'm married i'm even I, I feel even more married now that we had a ceremony with a reception with all of our friends and family i mean not all some people uh had to bow out at the last minute because they were sick or whatever, things like that. But, you know, you get the idea. We had 100-plus people at my old uh, place of employment, Anchor Brewing. It was a really cool environment. We hung beautiful lights. We, like, dressed the place up. Megan and her friends made some gorgeous flower arrangements. And after having done all that, she had the gown. We did the first looks. We did a lot of the traditional things. And now having done that – even though we've been legally married for 14 months, I feel just that much more married. And it was, without a doubt, the single best day of my life. It was great.
2: Yeah, I saw pictures on it on Facebook that were tagged, you know, and it looked awesome. So uh, I think it's even cooler, you know, that you're able to get it done at the brewery as well. I think that was a really cool. That's very you. You yeah. know what I'm saying? like <laughs>
0: well, It was very us, and the whole ceremony yeah. was very us. And actually, I have a story about how doing this at a brewery really worked to our advantage because uh, we did it right next to the – in this big hallway right next to the brew house. And the brew house, we've got these three large copper vessels. Uh, And for anyone who does homebrew and that sort of thing, you know what those vessels are for. but that 's where the beer gets made, so of course, all of these are enclosed in this uh floor that 's tiled and it 's set apart from the uh, the floor that you walk around on and it 's kind of like i don 't know if they have these in Spain, but I remember when I went to Scandinavia once on a vacation, the bathrooms are just all like the whole thing is like a shower the whole room you know the flooring all goes down towards a central drain, and then there 's just a shower head on one end of the room. But just the sink, the toilet, everything is on this same floor. So this is what we would call a wet floor. It's designed to get wet and to have hoses and everything. So at one point, we're taking pictures with uh, one of the tables. And we hear this huge clattering of ceramic coffee cups and stuff. And what had happened was there were two tables set up on the brew house floor. So on this, this wet floor. One had the cake on it. And the other table had a coffee service on it, so it had the big coffee urn and it had a bunch of coffee mugs and all that sort of stuff. So we're taking these pictures. We hear this huge clatter. All the guys, like all the men who were standing, run around the corner, like you know, because they're going to go like, "Uh, so y- y'all, you need a hand with that?" <laughs> 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 times fifty. Um, and what had happened was the coffee service table had somehow fallen over. Right. So all the stuff on it fell, but it fell backwards onto this brew house floor. And my buddy Mike, one of my groomsmen who I used to work with at Anchor, he's standing right next to me as I come around the corner and I see what's happening. The cakes are fine. It's just the coffee that's fallen. And I say, Oh, that's just, that's a wet floor. That's totally fine. And he just starts cracking up. <laughs> like, cause I, <laughs> I was totally not bothered by this at all. <laughs> that was the, probably the, I mean, I have many memories and there were many moments that I could talk about, but that was probably the funniest one that I could share with all of you listening out there is, you know, just that moment when like something catastrophic happens at your wedding and you are afraid that it's going to ruin everything, but it turns out because you did it at a brewery, everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's just being prepared, right? Yeah. like. Put it on the wet floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just hose it down the next day, too. Probably e- the easiest cleanup for those people as well. So Exactly. Probably the hardest part was cleaning up the broken cups. Yeah. The rest of it, you just hose down the drain. No no muss, no fuss. Well, uh, congratulations
2: to both you and Megan. So, I like I said, I saw the pictures and it looked great. I'm here in madrid brian going through my seven stages of a hangover from last night so
0: (laughs) (laughs) what's you so the the last stage you've already told me about off off mic um sorry (laughs) megan is overhearing this and she just (laughs) she just texted me what about this story (laughs) 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 All okay, right. I'll think about it. But what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So the last stage is feeling just 40 percent better than when you woke up. But what's the first stage of hangover? Well, I don't, I don't
2: have them in any particular order because I was just thinking about this while I was showering. But showering is definitely one of the stages. Sure. Right. I mean, it definitely. Sure. Right. Greasy food. Another stage. A nap. Another stage. Uh, wallowing in self-pity. Probably another stage, you know, there um, moaning and groaning. That's another
0: stage. Um, you know, no particular order. Right. Right. So, um, but we were at moment when you wake up and just between waking up and getting up out of bed, that's a big step. That is a big step. So I, I woke up this morning at
2: eight o'clock in the morning, I thought, and I think, and I was like, Oh hell no. And I was like, (laughs) I'm still sleeping through this thing. But, uh, I went last night for my ex roommate's birthday and it was just, it was just a supernova of fun, so for sure, we, you know, we just we we went to her flat. Uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of interesting people, which is always great. And we just like, it's like one of those things where everyone kind of didn't know each other at the beginning of the night, and then at the end when we went dancing, it was like we were best friends since high school or something. And I I want to give a shout out to my mom because mom, thank you for giving me the jeans to dance because.
0: I am a dancing machine, Brian, and, a- <laughs>
2: that, and I'm I'm so grateful that I can dance.
0: We should go out dancing when we uh, when we visit Spain in April for our honeymoon. I can't wait to see your moves. I don't. I enjoy dancing. Uh, I would not say I'm good at it, but I have fun. And that's what's important, right? That is important. Yeah. That is important. <laughs> So, yeah, so what do we have today for our listeners for FC Barcelona? Well, we do have a couple of news, of course. Uh, If anyone has been paying attention, you'll know what we're talking about already. But if you haven't been paying attention, there have been a couple of – key signings in the last week and we do have a couple of games to talk about as well as an update from Max Bluer on Barca B. But before we get to that, I do want to address our listeners real quickly because guys, don't forget that Valentine's Day is right around the corner. So why not think about giving your wife or girlfriend something a little different, maybe a little extra romantic? And what I'm talking about here is a luxury gift service called Enclosed that delivers designer lingerie to that special woman in your life month after month, so it 's sort of like a beer of the month club, but instead of beer, your lady gets ultra high end lingerie and this is what we here at Barca Talk like to call primo lingerie enclosed was designed specifically to help you guys find gifts for that special woman in your life and enclosed is all about helping you make her happy. It's effortless to you. Every month Enclosed sends your wife or girlfriend a custom-curated lingerie gift selected just for her, and they back that up with a 100% size guarantee so no one has to worry about fit. So come on and join more than 30,000 couples that love Enclosed, and we will give you a little gift. Right now, you can get $35 off your Enclosed gift. Just go to EnclosedLingerie.com, that's E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D, Lingerie.com, and enter the code BARSATALK at checkout to get $35 off any multi-month gift. That code, again, is BARSATalk, all one word, with a regular C, to get $35 off any multi-month gift. So give your wife or girlfriend something that reflects and deepens that connection between the two of you. That's enclosedlangerie.com with the code BARCETALK, $35 off, the best gift ever. All right, so we have these key signings to talk about. First one I want to talk about is de Jong. So we're going to have to wait a little bit to see this uh, pay off, but we got the paperwork signed. Bartomeo himself went to uh, the Netherlands to make sure that this deal went through.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is something that's been a rumor since the last summer, before that, maybe even too. But we talk about the football rumors all the time. And, you know, a lot of times they don't have credence to them because, as we talked about, the insiders, there's no such thing as that. You know, they just love throwing rumors out there to get clicks and content. So I, you know, it's nice to kind of romanticize about these players that could possibly come to FC Barcelona and Dijon was no different. I mean, man, this past week, everyone's like, oh, he's, he's going to sign any hour, any minute, you know? <laughs> and, and I just kind of tweeted out there and so said, yeah, until Barcelona officially announces it, then I will agree to that, you know? Right. And sure enough, Barcelona put the picture of him signing and so all is good. So really excited about this signing. He's a young... Dutch midfielder, he's already, um, you know, has, has a lot of caps under him. He has the potential to take over Busquets' role. And also, he's so young. He's 21. So he's coming next next summer, as I always like, to integrate into the team. And, man, he is going to be a super potential midfielder for us. And we'll see how he performs for us. So he plays
0: a very similar role at Ajax right now to what Busquets does at Barcelona?
2: Yeah, but he's also a little bit more attack-minding okay as well too so he can score goals he has a little bit more attack mindedness to him but i think you know with busquets age i think maybe that's where he's going to find time you know to become a starter and take over his role
0: yeah you know it's just so hard to i mean busquets is really a pretty irreplaceable player and you could almost see how even through various managers how barcelona's um tactics have always when he's on the field at least the last 5 6 years they've always kind of revolved around him and his particular gifts and there's just no one who exactly has his um you know his set of attributes to <laughs> if i were to talk about it in in fifa terms
2: <laughs> <laughs> i was about to say the exact same thing yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, like, you can't replace him, but what you can do is get a great player in a central midfield position and maybe try and build around that as well. And that could also be a, a tricky proposition for Valverde or any future manager. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is, I
2: you know, Busquets is, like you said, irreplaceable. But at least with De Jong's talent and, you know, what you project in the future, you're hoping that – he can be, you know, maybe 80% of what Busquets is. And I'll take that any day, you know, um, especially, you know, with his profile being on IX, the youth Academy, it's, it should be a similar, uh, well, it is a similar to the La Masia philosophy and so forth. So I think, you know, overall, this is a good fit for him. I was just laughing because he was considering uh, Paris, you know, PSG. And I mean, come on. I mean, that's, that's just like a no brainer, right? I mean, yeah. come on, you can't go. I know the money, if they were going to offer you more money, I get that. But long term, like after Neymar and these things like you want to play on the biggest stage, you want to play the biggest matches, the classico. Barcelona has much more fame with, you know, Champions League and so forth worldwide. Like that's where you want to be, not PSG.
0: I think right now, if you want money, you should go to PSG. But if you want yeah. glory, you can go to Barcelona. Oh nice, I like that. Right?
2: Yeah, very good. It's a very like simple
0: it. binary. <laughs> I like it. I mean, just I mean, just
2: look at what Neymar's doing. He's just, you know, dwindling away over there. Yeah. You know? And and he's trying to come back because he realizes how good it was when he was here, you know, mm-hmm. playing with Messi, the weather, the city, you know, all those things. And it's really hard to replace, you know. I, I Paris is a great city, but just the league, the League On is just very underdeveloped and you know, okay, that's great, you're gonna win the league, but Don't you want to push yourself
0: as an athlete to be the best, you know? Right. I mean, you know, for bicyclists, sure, France is, is a great place to be. But for footballers, not so much. Even though they are a factory of football, you know, that's what's so funny because they do produce great
2: talents. They won the last World Cup. So it's not that they're not producing good players, but their league is, you know, compared to the other leagues. You know, it's just not they don't do very well in the Champions League. If PSG continues to win at the league every year it seems and yeah you know,
0: yeah it's, it's, a, it's just a league big... it's it's certainly yeah. not the the footballing culture in the country it's just the league and there's something about the way it's uh, run or managed or something along that line. Yeah. I mean it's, it it's not unlike from what i understand you know before the premier league was really started english football was quite different and then they came up with this whole new approach to building and marketing a league the premier league you know, was born and since then the players have gotten that much better. It's become a little bit more more international to some people in England's dismay. But it's the money has gotten much bigger and the success of their clubs has gotten even bigger. Yeah, definitely. I mean with the
2: Manchester United run in the nineties, I think that really kind of propelled that league because not only were they doing awesome in the league, but they were doing great in Champions League runs. So with those two things, and like you said, they had a good marketing campaign. They started selling the product internationally more and they started getting More viewers, and so that became very popular. Obviously, when we when you talk about football in the states, you know the EPL is definitely the most popular out of all the leagues, just because the way they brand it, they started earlier, they have more notoriety, and also there's more, um, and the league has much more parity. Yeah. Right. So every year, every year, you don't know who's going to win the league, and it's it creates a good debate and a good following as opposed to La Liga, where it's going to usually be the top three teams. I'd like to go Barcelona and Real Madrid.
0: Yeah, yeah. As my cousin says, uh, the Premier League is top to bottom the most competitive league, which I I agree with. It's. Uh, not it's not my favorite style of football but it is true that top to bottom it is one of the most competitive but anyway we've gone way off the tracks here let's get back (laughs) let's get back on track and talk about this other signing of Kevin Prince Boateng
2: yeah this was kind of a surprise signing because we didn't really see that coming then all of a sudden he signed you know I think it was like one day was hot rumors and then he signed the next day essentially and you know I'm okay with it he's a good reserve backup he's hopefully going to give Suarez some time you know so we can Put Boateng. Boateng has a good profile of like Suarez, how physical he is, how he can hold the ball. We were talking in our bonus episode against Sevilla, how he was able to effectively hold the ball, hold the play and distribute. Uh, obviously, we, we need him to score some goals. But another thing, too, that just he's a better backup than Munier. And I like that. You know, yeah, I we mean, sold it- Munier and we have a better backup.
0: Yeah, he's he's more experienced, and he's been playing as a number nine at Sassuolo until he came over. And I think the reason that it came out of left field for the rest of us is because, you know, he's a little bit older. He's not necessarily a high profile hot prospect like he once was. Because I remember a number of years ago, he was the kind of player that got people clicking on things that you know that was in headlines. And at this point, he's just not in the headlines so much. So the Barcelona team that recruited him and got him to sign. They were probably just as public as they are about anything else, but none of the journalists really cared about Kevin Prince Boateng, so they weren't tracking it too hard. And then suddenly we get this announcement. But I completely agree with you that it's he's better than Munir. He's got experience. He's got familiarity with the role. And we will talk a little bit more in the uh, Sevilla Copa del Rey match review about how he did and, and all that sort of thing. But, yeah, I think it's a, it's a solid – A solid move in terms of business because it didn't cost a whole lot we got him on loan and the buyout option is only eight million euro which is all in all pretty pretty good business yeah it
2: is and you know if he can score five to ten goals i'm good with that you know that's
0: perfect right or even if he doesn't Uh, score any goals but if he does at least a serviceable job and suarez doesn't have to play those 90 minutes that's still a net positive yeah that's true because i
2: mean for example, in the match day against Girona, you saw how, you know, how physical Suarez is. And he just takes a beating so much. He needs those games off, you know, to recover and to be fully healthy. Um, so, again, Prince Botang I think, is a good fit. And he just needs to get some more playing time. And like you said, I, I want to see some goals because I want, you know, to get some productivity from there. But like you said, I'm, I agree with you with if he can
0: uh, not... Uh, fail, essentially, then I think it's a
2: great <laughs> signing,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> Just not be horrible and make some good passes here and there and let Suarez take 90 minutes off. I'm good with that. Now, this next thing I want to tell you about, I had a, I had a great conversation the other day with Victor, the VP of the Houston Kool-Aid's. And what we were talking about was how we're starting to gear up for the launch of our second annual FC Barcelona Summer Camp Scholarship Fund. So we did this last year with the Houston Kool-Aids, and between the two of us, with our collective efforts, uh, we were able to raise enough money to send two kids to an FCB camp in Houston in the last summer. So what we were talking about the other day is how this year we want to get more penas to participate in recruiting, raising money, and sending kids in their communities to FCB camps in their communities because what we learned last year is that the bulk of the fundraising does happen locally so when I say that our collective efforts raised enough money it was mostly the Houston Cooleys and within their Pena and within their community raised most of that money but we, I would like to think, helped by I mean, for one thing we sort of spearheaded the concept we came up with the idea and and proposed it to victor at the houston kool and he took it ran with it and it's just that most of the money came through the boots on the ground came through you know local events and of course everything came to a head at the second classico of the year the uh, second half of the season classico and that's what we're already looking ahead to right now so most of that fundraising is gonna happen locally but we're here to promote any pena that wants to participate in this um and of course We're trying to, we're doing a lot of cross-referencing, you know. We're like, okay, so towns or, you know, cities where we have penas and cities where they're offering these camps. Victor has already been talking to the group that manages these camps. And there's, uh, you know, potential discounts at hand that we might be able to take advantage of. Nothing's set in stone there. So, you know, I'm not trying to advertise that. But we're looking at launching within the next... Maybe week or two, really launching this fundraising campaign and letting it come to a head at the next Classico at the end of March.
2: Yeah, this is uh, I would say your best idea that you had for the podcast. Yeah, because this was this was all you and it was when you came up with it last year. I thought it was a great idea, and you know we had great success. We were able to send those two kids, and those two kids had a great time. I was super jealous of them, <laughs> uh, especially when they got to when they got to play uh, and listen to the Champions League beforehand. I thought that was a really nice touch by the fcb camp but again this is just an awesome opportunity to help other kids um you know get the opportunity to play and learn from the best club in the world you know learn the style kind of get the the foundation and maybe we can uh help nurture some better talent from the u.s so that you know we can do better worldwide in in soccer so uh, i love this campaign i and i can't wait to get it started and hopefully we can send more kids this year that and especially line up with other pennies as well uh,
0: before the Classico. Yeah, and you'll all hear more and more about that in the coming weeks. Now, new acquisitions aside, there is still a lot to look forward to coming
3: from La Masia, and our Barca B correspondent Max Bleuer tells us all about it. Transfers are again a big talking point this week. The signing of Frankie de Jong from Ajax has caused a tremendous amount of excitement among Barca fans. A versatile, tactically intelligent midfielder, De Jong could go on to replace Sergio Busquets at the back midfield, as the great man is starting to show signs that time is finally catching up to him. Or alternatively, he could play a bit further forward in the role of playmaker that Xavi used to occupy. There's been much salivating among Barca fans on Twitter about the possibility of a De Jong, Alain Ricky Puig midfield. After all, a team, or at least a midfield, composed of Catalans and Dutchmen, is every old school Kool-Aid's gold standard as to what Barca should be. And to the mix, Oriel Busquets, as another possible successor to his namesake, Sergio, and all of a sudden there is a lot for La Masia watchers to get excited about. One day we might even see Sergio Roberto in field too. The signing of de Jong is undoubtedly mouth-watering. It seems to represent a return to the dutch school Cruyffian values of football intelligence and pass and move that seem to have been abandoned since the departure of Guardiola and the apparent switch to a more Galactico-based strategy. Of course... This return to classic Barcelona values is welcome, and overall is without doubt a boon for Barca Bay. But will the signing of De Jong block the progress of some Masia midfielders? Next summer, De Jong will join a squad that at the moment contains Sergio Busquets, Alenia, Arturo Vidal, Sergi Sampa, Rafinha, Coutinho, Arthur, Rakitic, and Denis Suarez, all of whom are looking to play in central midfield. while the club are also looking to snap up PSG's Adrian Rabiot. Now of course, several of those players, for example Suárez and Rafinha, probably won't be here next year. While reports in Spanish paper AS suggest that Rakitic and Olcoutinho may well be out the door in the summer too. Both players on big wages who the club fear may have already played their best games in the Blaugrana shirt. But even if those players do leave, there will still be what is referred to in Spain as overbooking in central midfield. If Alain can look forward to a more prominent role, particularly should Rakitic depart, then Ricky Puig and Oriel Busquets are still likely to find themselves behind a myriad of players in the midfield backing order. But maybe that's good for them. Although there is a horrendous outpouring of righteous Aid Fury whenever Valverde doesn't call up the youngsters for a cup game, or doesn't give elenya minutes, the truth is, is that it isn't good for their progression to have the burden of responsibility thrust onto their shoulders at such a young age. While physically, Ricky Puig still has the body of a child, and needs time to develop if he is to be robust enough for his breathtaking talent to shine through. It looks like next summer we'll see a revamp of Barcelona's squad, particularly in midfield, with the likes of Rakitic, Rafinha, Suarez and probably Sampa set to depart. Alinha, Puig and Aurel Busquets all have a decent shot at getting more minutes next year, while at the same time continuing to develop physically, mentally and tactically, and learning from the likes of Busquets Senior and Arturo Vidal, who will help ease their transition into the first-team environment. That is assuming Ricky and Andor Oriel are giving first-team contracts, either next season or the one after. All in all, the arrival of De Jong does not have to constitute an obstacle in La Masse's midfielders' path to the first-team. The Dutchman's exorbitant wages, as much as €350,000 a week according to some reports, and Barca's already unsustainable expenditure on player salaries, means that departures are inevitable in the summer particularly from midfield, where Rakitic refusing to sign the contract extension he's been offered, while Deadwood like Rafinha and Sergi Sampa are surely likely to depart. Also, and perhaps more interestingly, the arrival of a Dutch passer-midfielder from Ajax hints at a return to the Cruyffian ideals of midfielders steeped in intelligent, possession-based parson move football. Players like Frankie de Jong, Ricky Puig, Galazana or Oriel Busquets. Stepping back from our wistful gazing into the future of Barcelona's midfield, And Basabé got back to winning ways on Saturday with a glorious 5-1 victory over Sabadell. Carlos Perez struck a lovely hat-trick composed of three expertly taken goals and also grabbed an assist, while Ricky Puy got two particularly gorgeous assists of his own and generally ran the game from midfield, It was a welcome return to winning ways for the reserves after losing 1-0 away to Achea. This was a bit of a crappy performance in truth. Typical lower league at a small stadium against a team of technically inferior but, um, intense opponents, and to top it off on an artificial pitch. The most notable and depressing takeaway from the game, though, was the incident in the 81st minute. The ball had bounced into the crowd, and as Moussa Wage went to get it back, he got into an altercation with a local fan who refused to give him the ball, the result of which was the Barcelona right-back being sent off, and subsequently being given a four match ban. The depressing bit, though, was that Wage subsequently came out and alleged that he'd been subject to racist abuse throughout the game. This being Spain, it seems that no action was taken during the 90 minutes against any racist abuse that may have occurred. And after being widely reported at the time, the issue has been completely forgotten since by the national press. There certainly has been no talk of any sort of punishment for Achea or its fans. Back to on-pitch matters, Barca's biggest threat again came from Carlos Perez, to add to his man-of-the-match performance in the Sabadell game. If he keeps this up, he might just find himself with some first-team minutes before the season is out. barca finished the weekend in fifth place with a five-point cushion protecting them from falling out of the playoff places. Their next game will be this Sunday, away to Peralada.
0: All right, now let's get into the Copa del Rey. This was the quarterfinal, first leg against Sevilla in Sevilla, and it was a 2-0 loss, but I think looking at the lineup and the way that uh, Valverde did substitutions. I, th- I don't know. How do you feel about it?
2: I don't know, Brian. I mean, I'm, I'm just confused by the direction of Valverde with this Copa del Rey campaign because clearly uh, you know, PK's interview afterwards told me that they're not into this Copa del Rey as they were the last couple of years, you know? And with that being said, you know, we talked about being a professional coach, you got to read the room. Right. And, this Copa del Rey is such a great opportunity to use players that are not getting the playing time that will be even more motivated to have success for the team. And that ultimately is going to help us down the line. And with this lineup, it's kind of a patchwork, you know, and, but when we were down to nothing, he just kind of put the full starting 11 and tried to save some points, you know, try to get the away goal, which was the most important, but, you know, we were talking about this, about Samedo starting left back, you know, what did you think about that? I thought he did a good move.
0: job. I mean, he's he's certainly no Jordi Alba, but I think he he looks just about the same at left back as he does at right back. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you're not losing anything by putting him at left back.
2: Yeah, I mean, he did one he did one good thing for the whole match. He did keep Navas under wraps because Navas is super fast, and Semedo was able to match his speed. And so Navas only had maybe two opportunities where he broke free, but for the most part, he was under wraps. But again, like we talked about, Boateng just got signed. He gets... Thrust it in, right? Let him finish the 90. It's not like he hasn't been playing. Let him finish the 90. I like Malcolm playing up there as well. Elena, great. Uh, maybe we could have used Dennis Suarez because, again, just seeing his last two performances in the Copa del Rey, him playing up as a forward, he looked really strong. Now, Elena is fine. I'm good with that. And then we had Artur, Rakitic, and Vidal. You know,
0: and that I, right there, it's it's a little bit too much. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is, there's who
2: is taking the attacking chances to go forward and make those passes of those three.
0: Right. Well, maybe Vidal. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Right. <laughs> he's definitely the wild man. He'll just run all over the pitch. And yeah. I almost get the I'm, sense that that's what he's what he's there to do.
2: <laughs> no, it is. I mean, the, the other thing too. I mean, he's there for the physicality, right? He gives us that physical. Brute force in the midfield, which is that's perfectly fine. But if you're going to have this, maybe put Alenia in the midfield because he's definitely more attacking and put Denis Suarez up front. Yeah, so now you have that link up play, right? Because I understand he's trying to guard you know for the defense with Rakitic and Artur to have possession. But again, in this match, we saw that there was a lot of disconnect. We depended a lot on Botang holding the play because he had to wait for everyone to go, we were not linking that play. And so, again. Rakitic and Vidal and Artur, when I think of great through balls, they're probably at the bottom of the list of the midfield.
0: Yeah. And looking at the back four, especially PK, I really think that was, that was just too much. You know, Because like yeah. you said, in the, with the reporter afterwards, it was very clear that he was not into playing in a Copa del Rey match midweek <laughs> against Sevilla. Yeah. And every time Murillo has played, in the short time that he's been at the club, I think he's played twice now, he's done a very good job. And like that's a perfect example, right?
2: Read the room. Yeah. Read, know know who PK is as a personality. Make him happy. He's a he's still a great player. Make him happy by not having him not play that Copa del Rey. Use Murillo, who's perfectly serviceable, and he's going to be more active and more motivated because on those two goals that we gave up, it was lack of motivation, lack of defending. It's just a step too slow, and and it's just because. We don't really care about the Copa del Rey. You can see, you know, I'm a body language expert, Brian. So I can, when I was <laughs> watching the match, this is what I'm getting from it, you know?
0: Yeah. And so we gave up a goal. We gave these two goals, one in the 58th minute to Sarabia, the, se- the second in the second half, 76th minute to Ben Yedder, And both of them were these crosses that were coming in across goal to the far post. And in both cases, the back four, mostly Longley, were sleeping. Yeah,
2: definitely. They were sleeping. You know, that's the thing. Now, if Longley and Murillo were back there, maybe Murillo has a little bit more action. Maybe he goes after the, the cross a little bit harder. I don't know. You know, but those were difficult passes. But again, when those crosses come in, Brian, it's more about the defending on the outside, you know, with Sergio Roberto being tighter on defense or Semedo whenever he's there. Because again, you're trying to close in on the gap. Let the guys go to the corner. That's fine. It's a hard pass it's a hard center to go from the from the corner and do a great ball as opposed to a center from where they were in those two goals. Because, you know, when you close on them, then you take them to the corner and that's perfectly fine. But Sergio Roberto and Semedo just don't do that. They allow these crosses to come in and it's always dangerous play for sure.
0: Yeah. Now let's talk about Boateng because they signed him. They put him in a Barcelona kit. I think he had maybe one training session and then he starts in this match. And considering that, I thought he actually did a pretty good job. And a lot of people have been talking about how he's not really a center forward. He's not really a number nine, but that might've been true years ago. But if Mm -hmm. you look at what he's been doing at Sassuolo lately, that's exactly the role he's been playing in. So he was not in an uncomfortable position by any means. He's, and I think he definitely had some good moments of hold up play. He even, I think had a shot or two that didn't look too bad. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that, Valverde should have left him in after the goal rather than throwing Coutinho and Suarez in to try and clean up. Or I think that was actually after the second goal in the seventy sixth Yeah. But still. No,
2: I mean, it's a good point. And the thing is, you know, for most of the match, we looked like a, a team that had never played together. Right. Because we hadn't, you know, sure <laughs> we hadn't. <laughs> and like I said, you know, Boateng had to hold the play because he was not familiar with, with the midfield, right? So it's easier, you know, when you're playing with new teammates, it's easier as like a number nine to go back, hold the ball and then distribute out as opposed to making these runs when you're not going to get the ball, you just get more tired, right? So he was just trying to get acclimated, try to get into the, the team a little bit. But again, imagine if Alenia was in the center mid as opposed to Rakitic, for example. Yeah. And then we had Denny Suarez, all of a sudden that changes quite a bit of the dynamic because Sevilla did have a lot of the possession, but anytime we had the possession, we did not really look scary at all and attacking. Now, if we had Elena who can take a guy one-on-one and then all of a sudden you have Denise and Malcolm and then Boateng to hold the play, that's a different situation,
0: you know? Yeah. I should be the manager, man. Come you should on, be the manager. Man. But, but <laughs> as you've seen pretty predictably from Valverde, you know, as – they go through further in this tournament he starts putting because we talk about how in the early rounds it'll be b team it'll be secondary players yeah. and maybe there'll be one first team babysitter player maybe a center back or a central midfielder to kind of clean up the messes of the younger kids get them through to the next round but then as the rounds get harder and harder and they they move further and is a, not a tough opponent in the Copa del Rey I think that's who we've seen in the last two mm-hmm uh you know they're going to be tough you could see that he's starting to add more and more babysitters and so you can just see how in if we make it to the Copa del Rey final it's just going to be first team starters all the way whereas and then you know in if that's his approach uh whatever i don't like it i'm much more interested in your idea of just making the Copa del Rey reserved for uh second string and b team players and just let them Live or die, let let them get eliminated, but let them play 90 and, you know, give them something to really play for.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I just, again, we want a little bit more transparency of what they are thinking a little bit. And like I said, when they brought Coutinho and Suarez, my biggest fear for this is if they get hurt in the last 10 minutes of this match, when we're already losing and it's Copa del Rey, like, I'm always thinking of like long-term for the season, right? Like preserving Suarez is really important because you saw, you know, first of all, how long it takes him to get into shape. When he does get into shape, he's a rock star. And then he's even better when he has a rest. I mean, we saw in that one match where he had a rest before and he was on fire. He scored two goals. I can't remember who it was against, but he looked awesome. So knowing this, you know, just let Botan finish the match. You know, again, when I'm doing reserves Team like this, you know, for this type of competition, or if, we, if the midfield needs a break, you need to have someone in that midfield that's going to be a dangerous attacker to link that play. And with this lineup, it there's nobody, and especially with Boteng, who has, you know, he's like you said, one training session before, like put another person there, like Denny's, you know, to help him out on the wing because that's those are the things they're going to do. I mean, again. Valverde, like you said, he put in the babysitters trying to save a goal to get an away goal. I get that, but at the same time, like as we are fans of this team, I just want champions in La Liga glory. Okay, now if this Copa del Rey, we get the final and we win it, that's great. That's like a cherry on the ice cream, right? <laughs> but it's it's definitely not that interesting for me. You know, it doesn't have the
0: same weight as those other two competitions, right? And that's exactly what it seems like the fir- how the first team feels about it. <laughs> You know, P.K., Messi, Suarez, they're like, yeah, exactly. yeah I guess it would be nice if we won the Copa del Rey, but uh, it's not really what I – it doesn't keep me up at night. Yeah, yeah <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I mean, P.K. was so candid
2: afterwards. I mean, it was so great. I mean, the, the reporter asked him, you know, he's like, well, you know, the, the away match now is complicated. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, if we win the next match and we get through, great. If not, then we tried. <laughs> <laughs> like,
3: you know, I mean <laughs> –
2: <laughs> that's a perfect that's how i feel too you know like i like i said i just think that you have to utilize yes maybe um you know elena is obviously not at the messy stature of playmaking right but at least elena's is going to try his hardest in a sevilla match in copa del rey as opposed to messi messi's going to he's saving himself for bigger matches down the line
0: right exactly
2: so another person i want to talk about really quick is malcolm he Had a decent performance. He had a shot on goal that went a little wide. I thought it was a goal for a second because the way the camera angle was there. Yeah. But again, I I just, you know, I just want to see him get more playing time because I can see a little bit of the potential. You can see the heart that he has. And I like that a lot, you know. And I just want to give him just a couple more opportunities. And, you know, I don't think he finished his match either. So why, why? (laughs) again, I just, do you think Suarez wants to come in 10 minutes? I mean, he's not going to give you anything different. And Malcolm is going to, you know, and he didn't, you know, as soon as those guys came in, I, they didn't do anything. They weren't game changers. And the only one that's going to come in, if anything is messy, but even he wouldn't have come in because he didn't travel with them. But again, I just, again, now with Boateng and Malcolm, I think those are very formidable subs for Suarez and they should get more playing time.
0: Yeah. And again, there's just the whole issue of chemistry up front with Alenia, Boateng and Malcolm. You know, three guys who have never played together in an attacking line. Uh, Malcolm is – I mean it seems like every time Malcolm is put out there, he's kind of like, who's this guy to my left? Who's this this guy behind me?
2: Yeah, he's never had consistency, right? I mean every time he's out there, it's like a new guy, you know? It's just like –
0: And like he hasn't played that much, but every time it's like, oh, this time you're on the left. This time you're on the right. He's like, and, but he goes out there and he tries.
2: Yeah. He was just unlucky on that one shot. I think if he would have scored, that would have been really great. Not only for the away goal, cause it would have made the, the return easier, you know, to come back from, but man, like you said, that is such a great analogy because he has no consistency, you no know, with play. Every time he plays, it's always someone new, you know, yeah. and you cannot develop that chemistry. Now I know in practice, they're, you know, they're probably starting the, they used the starting 11 to, you know some little bit of chemistry but it's still not enough you get all that chemistry in game time
0: yeah because game real game situations are you there's something about them that you can't train for right you can train a lot and you can get a lot done in training but in the end it has to happen on the pitch against a real opponent no definitely
2: i mean again I'm ha- like we talked about in the beginning of the, of the episode that with Boteng being signed, I'm really happy because if there's any type of injury or, or if Suarez needs a rest, we are covered now better than we were in the first half of the season. So that's really good. And again, just like I said, ride or die with the youngsters for the Copa del Rey. It's going to help us in the long run. It'll also give us better evaluation of our own talent and our own subs so that we can see if we need to get more players or change them out.
0: We asked one of our listeners, Zach in Cincinnati, what he likes about Barca Talk. The fact that you guys tie in a lot of the peñas in the U.S. And it almost feels like my own little peña that I'm a part of because there
1: isn't a lot of that culture in Cincinnati. You don't really hear about the U.S. side of it a lot.
0: And he's not just a listener, but he is a monthly supporter through Patreon. The reason
2: that I started to do the Patreon was when you guys wanted to send the kids
1: to the Barcelona camp. That was something that I thought was really cool, something that I can get behind.
0: Patreon supporters are the primary source of support for this free podcast. But as a supporter, you get more than just the podcast.
2: I do like having the little sneak preview podcast early in the week. Really, it's just kind of feeling that collective membership of being part of this own
0: little peña. Bonus episodes, commercial-free episodes of the regular podcast, and Barca Talk merchandise. These are the benefits of supporting Barca Talk. Check out the premiums you get with a monthly contribution at Patreon. Just follow the link in the notes for this episode. All right, we're back for the final act of Barca Talk this week. And, of course, we're going to talk about the most recent match. This was in La Liga, match day 21 against Girona in Girona at the Montelivi. And we won this one 2-0. So we go from the... uh, disappointment or the mehness of a (laughs) 2-0 loss against Sevilla to the happiness of a 2-0 win in La Liga against Girona. And quick reminder, this was the game that was meant to be played in the USA. And I know that plenty of people in Miami are disappointed that it wasn't, but I personally am glad that it was not. Yes, I, I ditto your
2: exact sentiment because, you know, just keep it in, the, in Spain, you know. Yeah, come come to Spain and watch the games. You know, come to Spain. You know? Yeah.
0: Let's but, try and um, yeah, let's try and boost a little bit more Spain tourism. <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. I like it. So
2: the, you know, for me, as I always say, it's the vaunted four o'clock kickoff time. Yeah. So that's when I was like, oh no, and it's away. I was like, oh double whammy. I was I wasn't sure how they were going to do, and you know, Hirona is a very good team. They're they're coached well by Eusebio. and sure enough, it was. It was a boxing match for sure. The weather up there is really cold. They've had a lot of weather advisory up there, so it was cold and rainy. But man, you could tell from the get go they were going to be in us from the get go with their press. I mean, they were on press they had going. It was a good press. I mean, it's funny how, not funny, I guess. It's not funny at all, but (laughs) it just. How, how teams that we play away, they just step up their game immensely against us. You know, we get their best game because Hirona has been fine. They've been going through the league and, you know, like they have the Man City money backing them. So they have good resources. But again, you can just see they those players, they'll play out of their minds against us because look how tough, and especially the pressing. I thought for sure they weren't going to do that for the whole match and they were able to. Even when they had 10 men, they were still kind of doing it. And a very impressive. Gutty victory today in Girona.
0: Yeah, well, uh, the thing about Girona is, as a club, you know, Girona is only an hour train ride from Barcelona. And for years, so many uh, locals in that town were fans of FC Barcelona because, you know, you have your local club, but if they're not so good and they're in the second or third division, like, yeah, maybe you'll follow them, you'll pay attention, and you'll go to the games. But you'll maybe pledge a little bit more public allegiance to one of the bigger clubs, the biggest nearby club. So for them, that's mainly FC Barcelona because Girona is such a center of, like, Catalan identity mm-hmm. and independencia and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, so if you're going to choose a big club, you're going to go with FC Barcelona, not Espanol just to start off with but in the recent years because like they never thought that Girona would even be in the top division and now that they have been consistently again partially because of that Man City money they've stayed in the top division and now their fans are getting like more and more about them and speaking of tourism I was thinking today you know like how much what kind of a seat would 250 euros get me in Girona Stadium, in the Montalivi, which is a beautifully small stadium, I think I would still get a better seat for 250 euros in Girona than I would at the Cap Nou. And in a way, I almost would rather do that.
2: Yeah, that's interesting point. I texted you during the match. I said, is this the quietest stadium you've ever heard? It's very small. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's small, but also it just, you know, for example, when they play in the Ibar Stadium, that's a small stadium, but it has more like atmosphere because it's on top of the field that type. I also think just, like you said, they're, these people are new to following Girona and La Liga. So they're starting, you know, they're not fully into the, the chance and what's going on. They just look like new people, right? Going to the matches. And so and I had that feeling. But uh, you have a good point because for 250, you probably get better sight lines and you're closer to FC Barcelona than you would be in the Camp Nou.
0: Yeah. I think at the deepest, it's 10 rows up, <laughs> something like this, maybe 20. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of a, like a community college
2: football stadium. Yeah. Like that type of, you know, not that many people. It has an open end. And yeah, it was just but again, you know, they have that Man City resource money. And so they are, you know, it's an interesting project what Man City is doing with Girona. And now I think they have another team as well, where they are taking their youngsters and putting them in those teams to get more playing time.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a really solid move for them. Now, as far as the lineup, this is a this is a top tier lineup. Uh, Ter Stegen, goal of course, back for Samedo got the start rather than Sergio Roberto, and then we had PK Longley and Alba. Really, you know, solid midfield Rakitic, Busquets, Vidal, and then up top Coutinho, Suarez, Messi, and you know Dembélé was out with an ankle injury. Yeah, so I have
2: two things for you on this lineup. So the first thing is the midfield with Rakitic, Busquets and Vidal, right? So when I saw this, I said, okay, like just like we talked about before, who is the midfielder that's going to give us that last link-up play to Messi and those guys? You know, who's the person that's going to take the one-on-one v1? None of these people can do that. It's true. The other thing too, Rakitic was playing on the right side or on the left side as opposed to the right side, which I thought was odd. To suit Vidal, essentially. So basically, Valverde is telling us that Vidal has priority of his position than Rakitic, right? And I think you could, you saw that a, a bunch, especially on defense and the link up passing with Alba. How many offside passes were there in the beginning with Rakitic and Alba? Because they've never played with each other on that side. Again, yeah. It's just like that new thing. Again, I would have started our tour. I mean, yeah. what the, what, I mean, the common sense of these things, I think, are just so obvious sometimes that he's, like, trying to overthink. Maybe he has his – I know he has his reasons, but, I mean, when I look at this lineup, I say, okay, we need a left midfielder. Who's a left midfielder? Artur. Artur, Hello. yeah. <laughs> there you go, you know? And then the other thing is Coutinho. Obviously, with Dembele's injury, Coutinho's going to get more playing time. But, man, he needs to – I don't know. Someone needs to slap him or something. He needs to get something. He de- he looks like he looks, uh, you know, like an Arrested Development when they're always sad and they play the Snoopy music. Yeah, I don't know if you're. Oh yeah. you know, familiar. they kind of go down. That's what I feel like Coutinho is right now, and I know he's lacking confidence, but someone just like either flick him in the balls, slap him, or something. Like they need, to, <laughs> he needs to get the fire back. He's going to play, so get the fire back. Because for example, did he? He looked like a ghost out there.
0: Well, there were a couple of moments where he really stood out, but it was only a couple of moments. And from a player like Coutinho, we would hope that he would be standing out more more of the time. He did have a couple of really cool dribbles, and he had that one opportunity on goal that I really think he should have finished. Uh, <laughs> yes. instead, instead of scooping it over the goalkeeper, which is, would have been the – the right move. Uh, and of course we can say that because, you know, we're watching it on TV and we can see all the angles and, and all that. So I'm not trying to be too harsh to him, but he should have scooped it over the goalkeeper, but instead he tried to drive it. And uh, the goalkeeper made a really good save of it. But at the other, on the other hand, Coutinho made it a little bit easier for him to do that. And that was so his one you, opportunity.
2: Let me ask you in that moment on that one V one, when he was charging down, what was your first instinct? Did you think he was going to score?
0: I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think back right to that moment before he let it go. <laughs> yeah, because I thought I he can was. Tell you, I, As, I, when I saw him coming in, I was like, oh, he's got to score this. He's going to score. Yeah, I, I, I thought for sure
2: he was going to muff it. So that, oh, okay. that was my, that, that's just because of how he's been playing, right? It has nothing, you know, you know, when you're a striker and you're scoring goals, it's all about confidence and that flair. And, and he just doesn't look like he has it, you know, obviously. Just because he hasn't been playing, he's been dropped. But now this is the moment. This is the moment that he needs to. Again, we can go flick his balls and hit him <laughs> and slap him in and stuff like that. He just needs to wake up again. He need, like obviously, I think it would have done a world of wonder for his confidence if he would have scored in that moment. You know, because it would have put us up two nothing at that moment. And again, if he scores that, all of a sudden we have a little bit more breathing room. Hirona can't press us; they're not as physical because now there's a huge disparity. Now it's two nothing.
0: Yeah. And I think it really comes down to that moment of decision. And because he's maybe lacking a little confidence or, you know, he's missed a, a shot or two lately, he doesn't have that confidence to wait that extra half second to see if the goalkeeper's going to ground. In which case, he could have, instead of scooping it over him, he could have just dribbled around him and then just <laughs> passed it into the goal if he'd have just had that little extra bit of confidence to give him that extra little bit of patience. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I mean, if he
2: steps up his game, look out. Oh, yeah. You know, look out because then then it's the three up there is going to be completely on fire. They won't know who to stop. Now, for me, this was the worst ham team passing performance of the year by everyone. <laughs> I mean, so many offsides calls, bad passing, short passing, cutoff passing that directly led to counters by Girona. Also, Messi had some really bad passes as well. I mean, overall, the team, I think, was their worst ham passing
0: performance of the year. (laughs) Well, their pass accuracy was 86.1 percent, according to these stats. And that is um, that's a little on the low side for us.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's definitely inflated up because we do so many of the the small passes. Right. But I'm just, you know, I'm I'm talking more about the, the last third, you know, when we need to really get that through ball and stuff, especially with the Rakitic Alba partnership. I mean, again, you can tell that it was their first time playing because the timing was off three times where Rakitic was offside twice and he was trying to send Alba was a bad pass. And so again, you got to give Hirona a lot of credit because they were scrappy, man. They were very scrappy. They were fouling us. They were, you know, touching that line of yellow card and fouls, you know, trying to keep us at bay. So, you know, it was a mixture of the fouling that they were doing, the defense that they're playing on us, but also us, we were just not as sharp as we usually are as well.
0: Yeah. Actually, I have a stat that's really going to prove your point actually, because pass accuracy. That's one thing. Cross success is another one. We had, uh, again this is just you know stats whatever uh 37.5 percent but here's the one that's really going to prove your point Girona had 15 interceptions yeah that's where it is right there yeah because if we're making good passes we're not going to have the ball intercepted nearly as as much as that exactly and and that's the thing you know it's it's you know, it's one of those days. You had to gut out that victory. We were able
2: to do that, but I mean, I just think that everyone. You know, again, I don't know if it's a combination of the four o'clock game, um, you know, playing in Hirona, the weather because it is cold. We're not a we're not really a cold weather team, and also just the fouling that they were doing because you know when you get. When you get fouled often like that, you, you start to anticipate the foul and it throws your passing a little bit off. So, you know, if I were a coach playing against Barcelona, I would definitely try to always be physical against Barcelona because they, quote-unquote, have the tag of being soft,
0: right? We're more finesse. Right. Yeah. That, no, that's true. And But Valverde fielded an 11 that was a little bit more robust, Right again. You got Rakitic, Busquets, Vidal. These are all guys, especially Vidal, right? Who's like they're a little bit more up for the challenges and up for the tackles than say Arthur. I mean, Arthur can evade and he can possess, but he's not necessarily. I mean, he's gonna get clipped also. But he's he's not exactly the um, you know the the road warrior that Rakitic is, (laughs) (laughs) or certainly not the Vidal is. Not the Vidal is. Yeah, but I mean.
2: Again, in the moment when the Artur came in, it's amazing what happens when Rakitic goes to his natural position. We get a midfielder who can actually hold the possession because in that moment, that was a five-minute run where we were just going back and forth on counters for both teams, you know? Yeah. Again, Artur starting and Rakitic being on the right, like it just makes so much sense. Like why not just do that? It's like overthinking the tactics, you know?
0: Yeah, <laughs> try, not, yeah try not to just overthink too much. Yeah. Now also there's an issue that uh, that you had with the urgency to break the press at the beginning. Yeah, someone brought this up on Twitter about
2: how we've looked this year when the press has been on us that we haven't looked as smooth and clinical as before and I, obviously not having Xavi Ninesta definitely hinders that but I think also just you know so, especially like samedo I don't know if you met samedo I I pointed him out to you today when we were WhatsApping a little bit, but I I don't think I told you about this, but like if you ever notice with Semedo, like he doesn't have the midfielder coming to help him when he's up there. So he has to back pass. When he goes to back pass, he doesn't have the confidence to do that slight through ball in the middle. So he'd rather kick it out of bounds or up the line. And so that automatically gives the possession and the press works. Then it's a success. And a lot of times, you know, we did not involve Ter enough, you know, and also, I think personally having our tour would have definitely helped against this press. I mean, be, <laughs> you know, with the possession, because you need to have someone that can have the back to ball, but also know what to do with it and where to go and to be confident to not just give it away. And a lot of times, Vidal was doing that often. He wasn't calming enough. He looked like a player who just played on Thursday night.
0: Right. On Wednesday night. <laughs> well, you know who immediately was linking up with Sumado a lot better once they came on? uh Ivan <laughs> <laughs> I mean Sergio yeah. Roberto like just like you said no one was presenting themselves to Semedo you know in the forward positions no midfielder was coming out to meet him as soon as Sergio Roberto came on and it was only in the last I think 10 minutes or so that's exactly what he was doing he was he was there he was showing for Semedo like in the box to give him support up front
2: so this goes to the whole thing with Messi, too. I think it all starts with Messi because Messi, if we look at his heat map, it's always going to be center and going towards the left, right? We've talked about this numerous times, about the balance of not having enough on the right. Now, this goes to when tomato gets the ball and we're playing so many balls and everyone is on the left side or the center, you're going to have to run a lot more distance to come back to help tomato So it's just easier to stand and let tomato play it back, right? right? We, we basically especially since Dembele is not there on the right side, we we are totally negating that right side, especially like in this match. We just, we had everyone on the center and the left side. It's poor Samedo. He just was, he yeah. was like, he was like, no one wants to play with me, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like Samedo had kind of a mixed day because before we get to talk about the, uh, his big moment, I do want to point out how, you know, with Semedo, like, if there's one thing I don't usually worry about with him, it's his speed. But this winger from Girona, Valerie Fernandez, he was giving him a serious run for his money to the point where Semedo could not handle him by himself. He had to have a center back come out. He had to have Vidal come back or something to help him cover Valerie. Valery. <laughs> it's Russian.
3: I'm yeah. <laughs> Fernandez. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Of the Moscow Fernandezes,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have a good point. You know, that we talked about Tomato's physical tools. You know, he is a physical beast out there. You know, with his speed and his physicality, and we want him to be more physical, even, and to showcase his speed. Even. And again, like you said, Fernandez was giving a run for his money. Again, when he he did such a great job on on last uh, last match against Sevilla, that I thought for sure. This guy, you know, you'd have no problem with it. And this guy is, you know, Fernandez is a smart winger. He knows how to use his speed, and then with the moves, how to get free. Again, I just want Tomato to be. I mean, we're going to talk about his goal, but I just want him to be a lockdown defender. I, if he can lock down that side, it makes our defense and our team so much better. So much better.
0: Yeah, and well, the other, the big difference between Jesus Navas and Valeri Fernandez is I th- about. Ten plus years. Fernandez Correct. is only nineteen, <laughs> so he's got that nineteen-year-old speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm I mean, never gonna it, die, speed.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, you know, I, you know, if if you know, we are having tomato, and he's, you know, he's new to the team still, right? He, he just came last year, you know, and he's getting more playing time. He's becoming a starter. But if he can just find that groove of locking down that a corner, then that makes our center backs easier to play because they just have the guard in front of them that helps our midfield it helps everything and until he gets to that point he'll be a you know a superstar essentially for barcelona by locking that down
0: yeah now we've mostly been talking about complaints and gripes (laughs) that we have but let's not forget we won this match
3: (laughs) it was a two nothing win
0: and that first goal came early on in the ninth minute from Samedo. It was his first goal for Barcelona. And it was just one of those plays, you know, where the ball was knocking all around the box. It fell to Vidal, and I really thought Vidal was going to score on this, but he got taken down, and then the ball rolls to Coutinho. Now, this was actually I thought a really good moment from Coutinho because he saw that Samedo was wide open, and he gave it over. Samedo put it home with a, a really cool head. He kept it low. He placed it in the corner of the net, and I do want to say good good on Coutinho for for seeing that because Coutinho could have tried to dribble with it and take the shot, but he was very well covered. He just dished it to Somato and somato put it away.
2: Yeah, I it was making fun on Twitter. I was something I didn't think I was ever going to tweet was Somato goal. <laughs> 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 but again, like you said, he kept a cool head. He, you know, finished it well and the keeper had no chance of it. Again, it was like you said, it was a pinball effect, you know, on the in the box. I think it was right after a corner or, an attacking play, so there was a lot of defenders, and obviously we were in the in the box as well. But like like you said, a cool finish. Maybe this will give him some more confidence. You know, scoring a goal does wonders. You know, and yeah. getting that, and especially that's essentially the game winner. You know, that's the game winner in the ninth minute, essentially.
0: You know what's funny? I do also feel. I mean, whatever. I might just be projecting, but I felt like after he scored, he also defended better. That's interesting. You know, I, like I, mean, I felt I like he was trying a little bit harder, and I I yeah. just I kept seeing this thought bubble over his head in my mind that just said don't fuck this up you scored <laughs> don't fuck this up
2: <laughs> I can see that I mean he, he again I also think just the you know with Artur coming in the match and Rakitic coming I, I also think that helped as well to create more balance all over the pitch right because and also when Hirona lost like, the man as well they weren't able to attack as much so I, but you know they didn't have that much dangerous play on the
0: left side True. True. Now, I want to talk about uh, the sports shows in Spain for a second because I want to know, in your opinion, what the over-under is on how much time they're going to talk about this – about VAR and this play in this match. This was in the 31st minute where Messi took the free kick. He was just outside the box. And Pons, for Girona, he, he threw his arm at the ball. But they reviewed it with VAR, decided that it was not a penalty because they were in the box. And I looked at the replay. I really looked like a penalty to me because he actually threw his arm out to deflect the ball. So first of all, what did you think of this play? Secondly, how much do you think the sports shows are going to talk about this come uh, Monday? So,
2: you know, I, I first thought it was a penalty because, like you said, the way the motion, how he threw his arm out there. Mm-hmm. But then watching the replay, it still was kind of gray. And I'm actually glad we didn't get this decision because I think this helps to make it seem as though VAR doesn't always help us.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: You see? And so I think with that, I don't think it's going to be that much time spent on it with the media. Like, obviously, tonight and tomorrow is going to be full of it. Again, another VAR kind of issue. But since we didn't get a penalty, I think it'll die quicker. And also, it didn't have a, really an effect on the, on the match because we were already up one nothing at that point. So, right. you know, not like the Luis Suarez thing that was in, the, in that time was 1-1. to it was, it was the game winner. And it was such a controversy because of the, the multiple angles. And the other controversy I forgot to tell you was that in the U.S. on BN, they had the best angle. And they didn't show it here in Spain. Oh, so there. So that was another okay, another controversy on that part. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I don't. You know, since they didn't give us a decision, I'm kind of happy about that because then, it, you know, as we talked about the the Spanish media bias about Real Madrid and Barcelona, you know, they think that all the refs are working for both teams, and so to have VAR now to not give us this type of decision, I think actually helps to tell the population essentially that VAR doesn't discriminate right right so we
0: might have lost that battle but that it helps with the war yeah,
2: exactly good point good point yeah
0: the war so again, never ends I, I, yeah I, it's definitely going to be the, the topic tonight for sure yeah well now also defensively so i'm still talking about the first half in the 42nd minute Girona, we're they were coming in real hard uh they made a lot of very aggressive plays into the box and there was this one moment where terstegen makes this Awesome first save. He's off his line. They get a second ball in. Stuani gets a second attempt in, and PK is there to save it.
2: Yeah, I mean, PK. he looked a little bit more plugged in this match as opposed to the Copa del Rey. Yeah. And, <laughs> but again, um, I don't know what it is in Uruguay with the water for the strikers, man, but can you imagine trying to defend Stuani? This is a guy that I would not want to defend, man. He just, again, like just like Suarez, raise her elbows, kind of towing the line of what is, you know, uh, legal and not legal, and but he's a beast, and he had a great first half. I mean, he was creating havoc. Obviously, the there was the missed uh, dive that he did for the penalty, but overall, he was giving us quite a, a headache back there. And again, this adds to the two things that we've talked about, the bad passing which led directly to the counters and also the press that they had. We were, we were having a hard time getting out of that. And those two things led to these opportunities that they had in the first half. I mean, without the Semedo goal, who knows what could have happened because Girona was always in the match.
0: Yeah, and even when they went down to 10 men, they, they kept pushing hard. They kept that press up. They kept throwing the ball into the box, getting really aggressive. And there were a, a number of uh, scary moments. Yeah, definitely. But you knew that wouldn't last.
2: (laughs) It was going to be like we just had to weather that little storm for five minutes and it was fine because it's impossible to keep up that pace. But again, Ter Stegen, great saves, point blank. I even texted you. Did you see how fast he got up on that one save where, you know, PK got off the the ball off the line? Ter Stegen is a beast. He is a top three goalkeeper in the world. Still doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. Maybe if he was Spanish and played for Manchester United, then more people (laughs) would think he's – he's a better goalkeeper, but whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause he had that other point blank save in the beginning of the second half of the 49th minute, which was also another sloppy giveaway.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, we don't often give so many opportunities, but Ter Stegen always steps up and, you know, blocks that. I mean, again, we had another shutout, so that's good for our defense again. Long lay too, man. He like I told you before, he's an elegant defender, right? I mean, he had some great plays. He is smooth. I don't know him and Umtiti in partnership for the future. Whew, Ooh, yeah, that is a. I mean, hopefully with Umtiti's knee, but Long Le has really been a discovery this season because I personally thought that it was kind of not a throwaway signing, but I just didn't think he was going to be that impactful. And he has really stepped up, especially with Umtiti's injury, but just has been solid on defense I mean in the previous Copa del, del Rey match when he came into the game he automatically solidified the defense just like Artur did today when he came in automatically after that five minute run he comes in and we were we were good to go we, we got the possession back we were more accurate with our passing and he run a, ran out of steam
0: Yeah, now we should also talk about the second goal. And this really comes down to Suarez, honestly, because we were on the counter again. He had it with his back to goal. He turns, managed, and like as he's falling, right, sends the through ball out to Alba. And now Messi is wide open right in front of the goal. Alba sends it in. Messi scoops it over the goalkeeper, your favorite. And we get the second goal.
2: I mean,. Poor Suarez got chopped down like a tree, man. He, he
1: went <laughs> flying. <laughs> he
2: went but he flying. had his last word. <laughs> he did have his last word. And the ref was about to call it a foul, but he let the play go. Thank God, because it, it led to a goal. But again, the Alba Messi combination, that's another assist. But Brian, this this Cuchara goal is, I think, one of the best ones I've ever seen because not only did he do it, but he put enough height and pace and distance to clear that last defender
0: yeah running into the goal trying to correct because like when i saw it live
2: i was like oh no that defender's gonna get it and when i saw the replay again the opposite of what coutinho does you know obviously messi's always plugged in but he was able to kind of just see the snapshot and then just do it and oh my god that i think that's probably one of the best cuchadas i've ever seen just because of what was happening he saw the defender and still put it out of his reach and it still went in i mean it was just Oh my god, it was so I you know I love Cruyff's goals cuz I could never do them in person. So, whenever <laughs> I see Messi do it like this, it's just a thing of beauty for sure.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So now with this win and with Atletico beating Hitafe to nothing, it keeps uh keeps Atletico in hot pursuit of the league title, 5 points behind Barcelona, but our win does keep that margin as big as it can be for now.
2: Yeah, and Atletico is getting Morata this week. I mean, All the things have fallen into place. Higuaín went to Chelsea, so now Morata is going to come to Atletico Madrid. And so they're going to be a formidable team in the second half for sure because now you have a quicker, better version of Diego Costa essentially partnering up with Griezmann. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think him coming back to Spain, he's just going to light a fire under Morata because he has been severely criticized for Chelsea because he is a talent. I mean, he was talented. He is, he is talented. I mean, he performed well at Juventus. He performed well in Real Madrid. I just think coming back to Atlético is going to definitely light a fire. And so they're going to be a team the second half. And it's going to be a big match when we go in Barcelona, buddy.
0: Yeah, it is. And oh, I, as soon as we got back from San Francisco, I went on a little uh, luggage buying spree. I got myself a new suitcase. I got myself a new uh, personal item to put under the seat it's a very flat backpack and i'm like super excited about our trip in april because now that we are done with the wedding that's the next thing that i'm looking forward to i'm still working on uh, you know losing a little weight for that <laughs> and that's going well but yeah i've got like new luggage and i'm all super excited but now and anyway next week we're gonna be playing on groundhog day Valencia, which, you know, last year, year before, I would have been more worried about. They're still, you know, they still have a solid team, but I'm not as worried about it this year because Valencia is just they're having a rough time.
2: They are, but they've been playing well in the last three weeks. So they're starting to kind of get their mojo back. So we'll see how they, you know, again, they're always a tough team. They're always looking to kind of put a thorn in our side and we'll see how that goes. Is that match at the camp? No, it is, is at that the camp. A- no. Okay, so that's better, because if it was at the Pestalla, then I'd be like, ah, a little bit worried, but that's good. Um, So, I mean, like you said, they've been struggling this year, but lately, the last couple weeks, they they won yesterday. So they won 3-0, I believe, against Villarreal. And um, so, again, we'll see how they, they line up, and, you know, we're at home. If we have our starting 11, hopefully Coutinho will come up to play and give us the the aggressiveness that we we were deserving from him
0: yeah well we'll look forward to that next week Special thanks to Max Bluer this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. Remember, we can't make this show without you, the listeners. To see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support, follow the link to Patreon in the episode description. Visca Barca!